That's plenty good. I don't really know what happened there, but uh, And if you're a guest today, you're like, what in the world is going on? So we're, we're in the middle of a series called One Hit Wonders, and we're looking at some of the uh, books of the Bible that kind of get overlooked sometimes, mostly because of their length. They're on the shorter side, and so we called it One Hit Wonders, and um, every week uh, when I speak, Tori usually picks some video that makes fun of me, so I'm not really sure what he meant by that one. Um, am I the dog catcher? I'm not really sure what the deal is there. But so that's the purpose, and, and I was thinking, you know, I'm on the older side. Uh, that was not, I'm not sure who started that chuckle, but um, you're supposed to say, no, you're not. Um, but I'm on the older side, and, and so I've had the opportunity to speak in different places, and I don't ever think that that's ever been a roll-in before who let the dogs out. So I think that's the first. So um, I like to uh, plow new ground, and I don't think that I've ever heard that before a sermon before. So that's pretty cool. Um, today we're looking at Third John. So if you have uh, a phone, you can always, it's easy, easier sometimes on a phone, but sometimes that makes us lazier. But it's a different story, a different sermon for a different day. But if you have a smartphone, you could use uh, the Uversion app. And if you just go to the tab section um, and you search the well Austin, you'll see the scripture for today and some questions and that sort of thing. So you could do that. Or you could type this link in uh, to your browser and it would take you there as well. Um, but if you have a Bible, let me encourage you something. Like if you're if you're like new to the Bible, there's one under some of the chairs. You could use that. And if you're not really like Third John, okay, I, I know that that comes after Second John, but I'm not sure exactly where it would be after that. One of the things that you could do is use the table of contents. Like I think the table of contents in the Bible is probably the least used page because for whatever reason, um, I think whether intentionally or unintentionally, Christians sometimes portray this thing like they got it all together and then we really don't and we think that we make people feel bad if they use the table of contents like they'll go you know for some reason sometimes we think that we will go straight to hell if you use the table of contents um so if you're not sure where third john is uh, use the table of contents and find it it's a really short book and it's really interesting <clears throat> so basically at this point as john is writing this it, it's a very personal and intimate letter as he's writing this um he's he's one he's the the only apostle left and he's writing to encourage the church and we get a glimpse into the early life of the church and what it's like and he writes and he talks about three different well, he's writing to one but he talks about three different people and as we go through today as we look at this particular uh, a book what I want you to do is just begin to evaluate in your own life like which one of these three dudes are you most like which which one of these three guys um, uh, do you have the same characteristics as or the way that you live your life out so as we go through it just keep in mind he's talking about three different people so it's super interesting as we look at it and it starts off just in in verse one and it says um the elder so um this has different implications but some of it is so like um elder as in like church leader but also a little bit older but hey i'm writing you this is john writing you the elder to the beloved gaius whom i love in truth beloved i pray that all may 
go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. So John starts off, he's writing to this guy who he has some existing relationship with, um, probably um, discipled him, uh, maybe even pointed him to Jesus in the beginning. And so he has this really cool relationship with him. So he writes him and he's encouraging him. And one of the things that in the very beginning he says to him is, I hope things are going great with you. I hope that your physical health matches your spiritual health. And so it made me start thinking, I hope your spiritual health matches your physical health. And I wonder what it would be like for us, like this isn't probably going to happen, but I wonder what it would be like for us if we were to able to create some sort of device at the door. And as you walk through the door, it transforms your physical body into matching whatever your spiritual health is like. So you walk through the door at the well and you come in and you walk through what looks like a metal detector and it transforms your physical body into what it, it matches whatever your, your spiritual health is like. Are we tracking here or is this like me in fantasy land and nobody's paying any attention? Okay, some, okay, because I know it's a little bizarre and it technically doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about exactly, but it's fascinating, isn't it? Like, what would it look, what would your physical health look like if it matched your spiritual health? So what John is telling Gaius is, I hope you're, like, I hope you're doing well physically, because I'm pretty confident that, that I showed you the way of Jesus and that you're going to be doing well spiritually, but I hope you're doing well physically. What would it be like if your physical life matched your spiritual life? Like, would you be doing very good physically, like maybe better than you are now? Or would you be doing really poor physically, like if it matched. And then it made me th start thinking this. Now, <laughs> how much time do you spend every week on your physical health? And now, maybe you're like me, and immediately you thought, well, for the past three months, I haven't done anything, so I spend very little time. But then I started thinking, that's actually not true. I always eat, like always. <laughs> I always eat. I sleep a little bit. Um, I process the food that I eat and I get rid of the food that I eat. Are, are you with me? Like there's some things, <laughs> there's no good way to say that. Um, but there's some things that I even do just sort of naturally physically. So I spend some time physically. How much time in comparison do I spend physically versus spiritually? Like it's just an interesting question. Like you don't expect yourself to have good health without using some actual principles or disciplines to do something. Like if you, if you can't run a marathon, you can't just, like if you never trained, you can't just go out and start running. Well, you could go out and start running, but eventually you'll fall down and die. You like, you have to practice. Like you have to do some disciplines. You have to do some things to prepare yourself. Like there's no way that I would ever do it. I'm just letting you know that it's out there. Like you can go from couch to 10K. There's a website that tells you how to do it. I'm not gonna do it because running is dumb, but you could do it. <laughs> You could do it, like go onto the website and we could learn how to do that. And some of you may have done that before, like, you know, I'm going to learn how to do that because I want to I be better physically. But then do we ever take the steps or the principles or the desire to grow spiritually and even go to the steps of looking something up online or asking somebody to help me? I want to go from couch to reading my Bible. I want to go from lazy disciple to marathon disciple. Like, I want to do those things. What are some steps that I can take? And typically, we don't do that. Like, we want to, 
especially, I don't know, it's probably like this in every city, but especially living in Austin, like everybody wants to eat something green. Like you think that that's going to, like if I eat this green, it's going to help me be better. If I drink this, like that stuff that you guys drink that's green, I don't know how you drink that stuff. When we, but you think that it's going to help you. But how much research, how much time, how much discipline do you spend developing your spiritual health? Like you're really healthy physically, but how healthy are you spiritually? And so I just find that interesting. That's kind of how he starts off. And then basically what happens is John goes through here and he says three, uh, you can read very clearly, three specific things that he talks about guys that he's doing well. Like, hey, uh, way to go. I'm encouraging you. You're doing great. And so he does three things. The first thing that you see is basically in that right there, he says, you have a good soul. In verse 1 and in verse 2, he says, you have a good soul, and I hope that your physical health matches your spiritual health because you have a really good soul. Way to go. I'm proud of you. Keep up the good work. You have a good soul. And then the second thing is he's like, you live in the truth. You're living the truth. You're living out the truth. And you can find that in verse 3. It says, for I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. He's like, there's like these traveling missionary preacher guys that go around and they came and they saw you and they came back and told me that you're walking in the truth, you're living out the truth, and I just want to commend you, you're doing great. So what would it be like if somebody came and checked in on you? Are you walking in the truth? Are you living out the truth? Like what if, what if Tori just showed up at your job tomorrow and he's just like sitting in the corner watching you work? And he's going to say, you know what, Bob, you wouldn't believe. They are, they are walking out the truth. They are living the truth. And it's so amazing to see that. Or is he going to say, dude, I can't believe the way that they acted at work. They're not like that at church. Like, what is it going to be like? And John's like, guys, you're doing great. Keep up, keep up the good work. Matter of fact, and it just made me think of another verse, uh, John chapter 3, verse 21. It says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Like, don't you, like, I, I, mean, I want that to be true of me. I hope that you want that to be true of you. And John's writing this letter, and he's like, you're walking out the truth. You're living out the truth. You're doing a great job. And then the third thing that he commends him on is his generosity. He's like, man, you're being super generous. So look what it says in verse 5. He says, beloved. It is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers. So who are these brothers that he keeps referring to? Is it like a gang? Is it a club? What is the deal? No, these brothers that he's referring to, they're kind of like traveling preachers. They're like sort of like missionary people, and they go uh, preaching God's word from place to place. And so he's like, I hear from the brothers strangers as they are, so like some of them show up to his place and he doesn't even know them, like he doesn't have an existing relationship with them, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So he's like, I hear that you're doing great things. Keep up the good work. When these brothers come by and they preach the word, send them on their way in a manner that's worthy of God. He's like, I mean, this is just the Bob translation. He's like, don't skimp out. Like, send them away well. Do something that would honor God, that would be worthy of God as you send them onto their next place to preach the gospel 
encourage them and send them away well. And he said, I've heard that you're doing great, that you've been very generous, and I just want to encourage you to keep doing that. So, so John writes about this first guy. He's writing to guys, and he's like telling them, you're doing really good. You've got a good soul. You live out the truth, and you're very generous. Okay, so he's telling them good. Now he switches gears, and he wants to start. He talks about another dude, and he starts pointing out the bad, okay? So I want us to, to look at verse 9. So now John uh, starts pointing out the bad in verse 9. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So it's like, I heard about this other guy. Like, I've written lots of stuff, but he doesn't want to listen to anything I say. Why does he not want to listen? Because he's very selfish, and he puts himself first. And then he kind of throws it down a little bit. Look what he says. This is pretty fascinating. Verse 10. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. So it's like if I ever show up there, me and Diotrephus, we're going to have this conversation, and it's not going to be pretty because he's saying all of these things that aren't true. Like he's being very selfish. He's putting himself above everybody else. It's kind of like the church bossy person. Like, I don't know what it was like when you were growing up, but there was usually one or two people, like, they thought that they were the principal at the church. You know what I mean by the principal? Like, the principal at the school. Like, this is my school. You do what I say or you get a spanking. Well, I, they don't do that now. But when I went to school, they give you spank. Like, you would get licks at school. Like, bend over, grab your ankles. Whack. There's a, in an old church, like a, like a historical church, there's usually one or two people. They think they're the principal of the church, and you got to do what I tell you to do, or if not, you get in trouble. Like, it's kind of like you get scolded. you got to do what I tell you to do. And John is like, this guy, he's being really selfish. And he's telling everybody what to do. And he's putting himself above everybody else. And if I ever show up, I'm going to put him in his place because what he's doing is ungodly and wrong. So if I ever come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. So he's like, on top of that, this guy, when these traveling missionaries come through, he's like, you're not welcome here. You can't come in here. We've got it all together. We don't need to hear from you. No, thank you. Go to the next place. And then it says, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to put them out, and then he wants to put them out of the church. So if somebody... He's the principal of the church. He's telling people what they do and what they don't do. He puts himself above everybody else. A traveling missionary comes through and you want to help them and you do something for them. He kicks you out of the church. Like he's like, this guy, he doesn't even really know what it means to be a Christian. He's not living out a Christian life. And then in verse 11, it says this. Beloved. He's saying to Gaius and to us, beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. This church lady who thinks that she's the principal, don't do that. That's not how you should live. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not from God. So he's like, don't live that way. So I want to just quickly look at four principles that John says about this guy, like these attitudes or attributes that we shouldn't live by. So we looked at, at three from Gaius that were good. Now he lays out four um, that aren't good that we probably shouldn't do. And the first one is that he puts himself first. He's selfish. Now, here's what we're tempted to do. We're tempted to say, I can't believe he's so selfish. I'm not selfish. 
Here's a test for you. This won't work for everybody. For most of the guys, it'll work. For the, for the ladies, I don't know if this will work. Here's a test for you to figure out if you're being selfish or not. Go to lunch, and you go to lunch with a friend, and you order one meal. Just one, not two. You go to lunch with a friend, you order one meal. Or you just order one dessert. Let's say you got cheesecake. So let's say I'm looking right at Luke. Let's say I go, I go to lunch with Luke, and we order cheesecake. One cheesecake, not two, one cheesecake. And I say, Luke, we're going to split it. And I'm cutting. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure that I put my knife in the middle so that he sees that it's in the middle. And then when he looks away, I'm going to scoot it over a few millimeters just so I get a little bit more than him. Go to lunch with somebody, split something, and then see if you're selfish or not. We're tempted to say that we're not selfish. But there are some areas of our life where we're very selfish. We want our way right away. We're very selfish. And so John is saying, just be careful. Don't be like that. Don't be selfish. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 19, verse 30 says it very clearly. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Don't be selfish. So then the second thing that he says is he doesn't acknowledge authority. Like he, he thinks that he's, he's the person, he thinks he's the principal, he thinks he's doing what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't acknowledge any authority. And he's saying wicked things about us. Like he just is really wrong. So then it made me think of 1 Peter chapter 2, and there's a couple of things. Well, I'll read a few different verses about this that just talks about acknowledging authority and saying wicked things. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, it says, So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And then if you skip down to verse 13, it says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For it is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as a people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God. So I think we're reminded in multiple places of scripture, like just be careful of what you say, the way that you live your life. Don't put yourself above other people. Make sure that you honor people, that you respect people. And so that was the second thing that he told us about this guy. The third thing is um, not welcoming the brothers. So these brothers, they're the traveling preachers. They're the, the, the missionaries. And he's like, wouldn't you want to welcome them? He's not welcoming them. Please don't be like that. Don't make your church be like that. Don't make your individual, don't individually be like that. First Peter 4, 9 says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So I think that even takes it to another step. Like welcome the brothers, like show them well, but do it without grumbling. Because sometimes they're like, okay, I'll serve at church today because they put me on that planning center online thing. I don't even know how to use that, but I'll go serve. Like don't, don't be grumbling about it. Like serve joyfully. And then the fourth thing is basically he's, he says he's just mean. He kicks people out when they try to do the right thing. He's just mean. Don't be mean. What happened? 
You're laughing at me because I'm mean? No. Oh, I thought, oh, it is simple. I'm a simple person. Don't be mean. Don't do it. Don't be mean. Look what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Don't be mean. I'm glad that had an impact. Don't be mean. And then he goes on to say in verse 12, he's like, just be careful. Don't be influenced by this bad example. In verse 12, he gives an example of another guy. Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him, and you know we speak the truth. He's like, guys, you're doing great in these areas. And then you have two other brothers over here. One of them's doing well and doing what he should do. He's speaking the truth. He's living out the truth. And the other one, he's just being mean. Now, some of you, depending on how your thought process works, there's a few of you that are frustrated with me because you, you think linearly and you think that I skipped two verses and that I'm not going to cover them. But I'm actually going to cover them now. Look what it says in verse 7. In verse 7 it says, for they are traveling for the Lord, and he's talking about these brothers, these traveling missionaries. For they are traveling for the Lord, and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. So that we can be their partners. And I think that word partner is really important. And I just want to take a brief moment, uh, like to do like a, an infomercial. Can I do an infomercial for you? Uh, what's that guy's name? Ron Papel, and he does all that stuff. I don't even know what is that. His really, I don't even know what his name is, and that just popped into my head. I'm not that guy, which sadly makes me think of a Saturday Night Live skip, skit, the uh, Bassomatic. Anybody ever see that one? <laughs> okay, anyways, um, look that one up on YouTube. It's funny, um, but partnership is really important. And some of you know, but maybe not all of you, so I want to talk a little bit, little bit about it. Something that's really important to me is partnerships. And so from the very beginning, uh, Tori and I have had a great partnership. Matter of fact, I would venture to say, I mean, you can ask him because he may disagree to some degree, and, and it's fine. We should probably write a book <laughs> about partnership because I know of very few people to have the partnership that we have. I mean, there, there, there's probably some. I'm just, I don't know many of them. But we have a great partnership. Like, it's a partnership that, I, that I've always longed for, that I've always dreamed about, but it's never really happened, and I've tried to force it to happen a couple times, <laughs> and that went bad. Um, but it's a great partnership. And now I get the opportunity to partnership with you as a church. And I just want to commend you and, and then even prompt you just a little bit. So, um, at some point, probably like in June, my family and I will be moving to Brazil to work on planting a church in Brazil in the largest city in the Southern Hemisphere. And so uh, I get to partner with you to do that. I, I don't know if you realize that. Like we're even partnering right now because I'm spending, matter of fact, I leave this week on Thursday. I'll be in Brazil for like 10 days and I'll get a chance to start working on some relationships and doing some of those things. And so what you need to understand is whether you like it or not, I'm your partner. Like maybe you could have got a better partner and you're like, oh, when was the draft? I wish we could do it over. Um, but I'm your partner. Like you're my partner. And I love it that we're getting to partner together. And so one of the things that's really interesting is John writes this letter to Gaius. He's like, support these people 
Gaius, it's not your responsibility to go. It's your responsibility to lead the church there well. But you can also take that and multiply it in some other part. And that's what you get the opportunity to do. You're multiplying the well on another continent. Like, do you realize the impact, the, the ginormous impact of that? You're multiplying the well on another continent. Do you get that? Do you see that? And so, this is why it's so important that you understand when you come to church and you give generously and you give joyfully, you get the opportunity to multiply the gospel around the world. And so I just want to encourage you, don't give reluctantly, don't give begrudgingly, give joyfully. You get a chance. This is, this is what multiplication looks like. And so I just want to walk through a couple things because I want you to see clearly what it looks like because not all of you can go to Brazil. Matter of fact, not all of you are even called to go to Brazil. You're called to live out the gospel in the place where you work and in your neighborhood and with your family here. But you get a chance to actually go to Brazil because you get to partner with me to do that. So I just want to show you a few pictures and I want to talk through a couple things because I want you to get a clear picture of what's going on. So I want to put up the first picture. This is a guy named David. Um, his wife's name is Gisela. And David uh, desires to be a pastor. He wants to be a pastor. And so David's English at this point is not great. My Portuguese is even worse than that. But in using Google, we figured out how to talk. Um, and, and one of the first conversations that he had was, will you teach me how to be a pastor? And there's two things that happened in my mind at that moment. The first thing was, I was overjoyed that he asked, will you teach me to be a pastor? And then the second thought was, oh, crap. But David has this huge desire to be a church planter. And so I want you to, don't miss this. By you helping me go to Brazil, not only are you planting an English-speaking church that does Portuguese on the side, but you may get a chance in the very near future to plant a Portuguese-speaking church because David wants to be a church planter. How cool is that? That's what you are doing. That's what you are doing via partnership. So I want to show you the next picture. This one, uh, um, so Ricardo and Josie, um, doesn't he not look like Vin Diesel a little bit? <laughs> so we, I joke with him a little bit, but he's the kind, you shouldn't joke with him because he'll mess you up. Um, Ricardo grew up in a very legalistic church and ran away from church for a long time, so he's very new to coming back to the faith. His wife Josie is a brand new Christian. Um, but she's a connector person. Like she knows people and some of her friends right now don't know how to take her being a Christian and they actually are kind of a little bit frustrated by that, but she has this stuff. So when I'm there, one of the things that I'm doing when I'm there this next time is they're throwing a party with all of their friends and I'm going to their apartment. And so me, Ricardo and Josie, and then one other girl who lives in their same apartment that, that we know will be the only Christians at the party. And they get a chance to, and I'm, I'm trying to help them see that they get a chance to be missionaries right where they live. The other thing that Ricardo wants to do, and I've agreed, reluctantly agreed to do it. Okay, this dude, this dude is a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, okay? I don't know if you, if you don't know what that means, that means is you don't mess with them. This is what it means. 
And one of the things that he wants to do is, I agreed to do it. I don't know why. I'm stupid. I just do stupid things. He wants to teach me jujitsu. And... <laughs> that is not funny. It's scary is what it is. He wants to teach me. So he has these guys that he does jujitsu with. And he wants to teach me jujitsu. And then afterwards he wants... So each time when we fight or whatever you do, I don't know what you do. Then he... <laughs> Then he, wants to, uh, then he wants to have a Bible study afterwards and talk about what does it mean to be a man of honor. You are doing that. I want you to understand you are doing that. I'm just the guy that gets the broken arm. But you're doing that. So that's really cool. And then I want to show you one more picture. Um, <laughs> the reason I laugh is because Lilia is probably one of the sweetest people that you will ever meet. Like, when you meet her, you, you kind of sort of melt a little bit because she's so incredibly nice. And um, she, she's, she speaks English great, but she's not confident in English, and so I always mess with her. And I make her be my translator because she doesn't think that she's great at English, but she's actually really good at English. She's one of the most, she desires to continually grow in her spiritual development, and she is probably one of the most hungry spiritual people that I've ever met. And she also just happens to be one of the nicest people. Like if you met her right now, if she was here right now, you would think, that girl loves me, and you don't even have to talk to her, and you're gonna think that. Like she just genuinely loves people. And so maybe from time to time, I'll show you some other pictures, but I just wanted you to see that this is what you're doing. And so I'm going to ask you a couple of things. I'm going to ask you to pray uh, for me and for my family. One of the things, while I'm gone this week, one of the things that you can be praying for is I, I stay in an Airbnb apartment, and, and there are days when it gets kind of lonely because you get scared and you don't want to go eat because somebody's going to ask you a question and you don't know how to answer the question in Portuguese. Um, so there are days when it gets lonely, but there are also days when it's really exciting and I get to hang out with Ricardo and Josie and meet all of their friends. So, so just pray for me as I'm away from my family for a few days. Just pray for me. I also want to challenge some of you to begin to think about what does it look like for you next year to take a trip? What does it look like for you to come and hang out with me for a week or two? The majority of you are like Gaius. Like you're supposed to be here and you're supposed to be faithful and you're supposed to welcome the brothers here and you're supposed to be the example of the gospel in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. But there are probably a few of you that are actually supposed to move to Brazil. Just think about it. And then take it another step further. And if you dare, pray about it. What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to take the well and the Jesus that you found here to be so faithful and gracious and merciful to the largest city in the southern hemisphere? And so whether you choose to go or not, whether you feel called to go or not, what I want you to know is that you're all partners. And most of you are probably supposed to stay here and be Gaius and to live your life like that. But some of you, 
maybe God's calling you to do something different. So just think about it. And then lastly, I want to mention this. In verse 13, it says, I love this, and this is the way my brain works. This is Bob reading into this, but I'm just going to go for it. He said, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write it with a pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. For me, this is what I learned from those last two verses. Sometimes I wimp out and send an email. Sometimes I wimp out and send a Facebook message. And John says, I got a lot of stuff that I want to talk to you about, but I would rather do it face to face. Because I think, believe me, I love technology and I think, I think you should utilize technology however you best can, but there's something about face-to-face contact with people that makes a difference. And John says, I got a lot of stuff to tell you, but you're just going to have to wait till we get to be face-to-face. And so I just want to encourage you this week, who's the person that you're tempted to send an email to, but you should actually meet face-to-face? Who's the person that you send a Facebook message to, but you really should be meeting them face-to-face? I just want to challenge you. I'm not saying don't send the email but maybe you should actually meet with them. Maybe you should actually spend some time with them face to face. And then as we kind of wrap up, I just want to mention one of the other thing. So um, I got the chance to go to uh, a, a conference for the past few days uh, with some guys from the well. And there was one thing that was said at the conference that I don't know that I'll ever be able to completely comprehend or get over, but I just want to mention it to you and drop a bomb on you because it got dropped on me, and I just want you to wrestle with it just like I wrestle with it. So misery and company maybe, I don't know, but um, it was just really challenging. In your life, do you find God to be more beautiful or more useful? Do you typically find God to be more beautiful or more useful? I tend to treat God more like a butler than the righteous, holy God that he actually is. And I bring him a long to-do list. And if he does those things that I ask of him, I might say thank you. But very seldom will I say you are beautiful. And so, maybe this week, just begin to think about in your life, do you view God as righteous, holy, beautiful? Or do you simply think that he's more like a butler that you present a list to? And I'm not saying that God doesn't do things for us because I think he does things for us all the time. And I'm not even saying that you shouldn't thank him when he does those things for us. We should be grateful for the things that he does. But I was incredibly convicted because I know that the majority of time I only respond to God out of, because he owes me something. And I present him with this list and many times the things on my list are great things. It's not that they're bad things, they're great things but I don't show God honor. I don't see him as beautiful. I see him as butler. 
I see him as a vending machine. And if I say the right things and I do the right things and I put in the right coins, he'll give me what I want. And I just want to ask you today, is he beautiful? Or is he just simply a tool for you to use? Let's pray. God, I thank you for being a righteous God, a holy God, a loving God. I thank you for mercy and grace. And I pray today that we are overwhelmed by the fact that you did indeed love us so much that you knew that you had to provide a way out for us because we have sin and filth. And it is a tad bit overwhelming, but indeed we are grateful that you said that you would provide a way out by sending your son Jesus who died on a cross for the forgiveness of my list for the forgiveness of my sins so maybe you came today and you've never responded to God's prompting in your life I just want you to know that he's been pursuing you he's been coming after you He loves you. And if you've never responded to his promptings, maybe today would be a great time to do that. And you just simply say yes to Jesus. Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know and understand, at least on some levels, that you died for the forgiveness of my sins. Jesus, would you make me more like you? For those of you that have been walking for maybe years and years and years, you've been walking with Jesus. but you've just been viewing him as a butler. I pray today that you begin, at least on some level, to begin to see him as beautiful and not butler, not just a tool for you to use, but to see him as beautiful, that you adore him more than you thank him. You adore him for who he is, for what he represents. Jesus, I simply pray that you change us and make us more like you so that then you could use us to change the world. You are righteous and holy. We say thank you. Amen.